welcome to Kindergarten Chaos, the Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we have an interview with Megan about developmentally appropriate practice. Yay! 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 Celebrate! (laughs) (laughs) I love it when people are trying to get the DAP back into kindergarten. (laughs) I think the pendulum is finally turning back because people have had enough and they're finding out how children really do learn best through play. So thank you, Megan. Megan Randazzo is an achievement coach in the Canyon School District. She has been in education for 11 years and has a bachelor's degree in elementary education and a master's degree in special education. She works as a designer and facilitator for the elementary ELA department at the Utah State Office of Education. Thanks for joining us today, Megan. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel honored to be a part of it. It's really cool you do this. So I love it. Well, I learned a lot from taking your class, and I'm really excited that you're willing to share some of it with people. It's been a really positive experience. I wasn't quite sure how these online trainings would be going just because it's, you know, new to so many people, but it's been really good. So I was wondering if you could start out by talking about what developmentally appropriate practice is, because I feel like we throw that word around a lot. Yeah. But I like that you have a definition for it. Yeah, so um, the kind of go-to place I went to find a true definition is the National Association for the Education of Young Children, which is the NAEYC. So that's a really great resource just because it's evidence-based and it's um, most recent evidence, I should say, um, on developmentally appropriate practice or DAP. Um, And so they define it as the approach to promote the learning and success of young children. And how I like to think about it is how um, developmentally appropriate practice um, involves teachers meeting the needs of the kids, but meeting the needs of where they are, not just a grade level, but developmentally, and then planning instruction that reflects um, an understanding of those developmental stages. So there's really three core components that have to be considered um, when planning with developmentally appropriate practices and putting them into implementing them into your classroom. So those are the understanding of child development stages, um, knowing individual needs of your students and their individual interests, and then also knowing what's culturally important to the kids too. And what are some resources teachers, I guess if you want to find out about your students' interests, you can use a survey or something like that. But what if you want to find out more about their stages or their culture? Do you have some resources for that? Yeah. So through um, a little bit about the child development, you know, it's important to really look at birth to like um, early elementary age because we have to know what they're, what are we expecting them to come in knowing because there might be holes we need to fill, especially because kindergarten in our state isn't required. Um, it's really important you're kind of familiar with that if you're going to um, build DAP into like first grade curriculum and things like that. Um, and also in kindergarten, knowing they might not come with any academic background um, or social background. So the best place to look, the NAEYC website will have resources on child development. And um, I would say any 
medically based um, website as well or evidence. So just looking at stages, you know, you can do the zero to one birth um, or birth to one and then kind of look at different um, developmental milestones. And then also what's nice is usually when you're looking at milestones, it'll kind of bring in certain interests that are um, more generic interests. So things like um, building fine motor skills, so cutting and coloring are good at certain stages. So those kind of things. And then, yeah, you can interview your kids kind of when you get them in your class to know what their individual interests are. And then their needs are going to come from observation and, um, you know, assessments. And I can talk a little bit about developmentally appropriate assessments because it's important to not, you know, just drill and kill the kids, but um, have some ways to find out about them, what they know um, in fun ways. Um, Why don't you go ahead and talk about that? So I think a couple ways I've observed teachers. um, So my job currently is an instructional coach. And so I have the opportunity to see a lot of different teachers approach and their approaches to to this. And so I love it because I learned so much. But I see a lot of them, you know, work it in their um, dibbles assessments or whatever they're required to do and as games. And so they might be just say, you know, Hey, I want to play a letter game with you. And then they start reading their, the directions that they need to read for their fidelity type um, rules and things, but they just, they build a relationship with the kids to make assessments fun and the kids know that. And I think um, how they respond after an assessment is done really is the developmentally appropriate um approach that they build in so a high five maybe they earn a sticker or something like that so they just um you know you have to do your required things and Mm -hmm. they're not always going to be built for you know what you think typically would be fun for a five-year-old but I think those are ways that you can make it so how you almost do a pre like what you're thinking before they take the assessment do the assessment and how you reward them after or celebrate them after um And then the culturally consciousness kind of aspect or consideration, knowing um, a lot about where they are culturally is, you know, again, a little trickier. Um, Getting to know families, inviting families into your classroom are great ways to do that. And then um, kind of researching and learning about different cultures. So when you do find out about a student or a parent, you know, shares some of their beliefs or backgrounds, you can um, kind of be familiar with certain things. I think there are just um, language aspects we need to be aware of and culturally, you know, things with um, how families interact or maybe um, involvement of elders or grandparents. So there's just different approaches that um, different cultures will have to supporting little kids in their education. So it's important to kind of have that broad um, understanding. And if you, you know, there's um, in some ELL endorsement courses, there's a REACH program. I know the University of Utah uses it or used it when I was um, going to school, but that's really nice because you just kind of get a general idea of of many dominant cultures in Utah. And then that way you kind of have an idea, a little bit of background on different cultures. So you can apply that when you meet a student that might come from that um, particular culture. Can you talk a little bit about how developmentally appropriate practice works with the Common Core or whatever standards we're required to teach? Yeah, so um, standards or, you know, the Common Core or Utah 
Utah course standards are all um, what we need to teach. So it's okay. By the end of the year, the kids need to know this skill. And then DAP or developmentally appropriate practice is the fun part where teachers get to be creative and think about how are my students going to interact and master this, this standard or this skill. Um, I think what's most important is to really reflect on what is the standard? What does it really mean? And really unpack that. Um, you know, we might know that in kindergarten they need to count to a certain number and understand number value, but we need to really think about, okay, what, what do my kids need to know? How, what does that all mean? Um, and then how can I make that them interact with this in a fun, creative way? And I think it's crucial to understand the standards really well, but also reflect on our practices. Each, um, you know, I mean, research is just continuing all the time on education and how kids learn and succeed. So we need to also be reflecting and thinking about what's going to work best for students as well. I liked how in your class you talked about how standards are our goal, but it's our job as a teachers to figure out how to get there. Yeah, I mean, that's the creative part. Even if you have a curriculum that's um, expected or required of you, you still get to build in the engagement and the fun um, teaching pieces, which is great. And that's what teachers are trained to do. And that's where our mindset is, too. That's what we like to do. Yes, yes, yes. So if someone is teaching and they want to reflect on what they're doing and try to determine if what they're doing is developmentally appropriate, is there a way that they could do that? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, well, first, collaborating with others is going to be a great thing. So if you have peers that are willing to either watch you or support you in just sharing ideas and um, reflecting on what's what you're seeing evidence and what's working with your class and then um, maybe thinking of some more ideas. I think that's the first way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second way is just, you know, video yourself and um, watch your own teaching. And I, you know, it's always so awkward to watch a video of myself. I think I watched it probably three times. Like the first time I'm just judgmental of how I talk Mm -hmm. and what I'm wearing. And then by the last time I'm like, okay, I'm actually watching my teaching. But, um, you know, videoing, yourself and just reflecting on that and seeing how your kids are reacting to you and you know you just see so much that's another aspect of my job I love is I get to be that those eyes that that watch something and I think just that whole view you learn a lot about yourself and a lot about what kids need and um, enjoy about what you do and maybe where you can have some refinement or enhancement um, opportunities so And then another, you know, I think what's hard is knowing, okay, I've reflected, I kind of know where my strengths are and where areas of improvement are, but knowing now where to I, where do I go from there? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've had the opportunity to learn a lot about um, John Hattie and his work is called Visible Learning and Teaching. Mm -hmm. And he's created and compiled a meta-analysis of all, kind of an analysis of um, all the research that's out there on education and outcomes for kids and education practices. And what he's done is created um, a spectrum of effect size. So um, certain practices have higher effect size or a greater effect on student um, outcomes than others. And so pretty much it's, um, you know, unfortunately there are some practices that after his research and um, analysis 
I guess, his meta-analysis on the research, do have negative effects on on students. So that's, you know, really important to notice if you're doing any of those. Mm -hmm. But um, it kind of, I mean, I think more so it just shows where are you going to have the biggest bang for your buck. And so I can do good things, but I want to be doing the best for my kids. And again, that's going to change over time what we learn about kids and how kids learn. It's changing. So we have to have that mindset as well. Um, so starting with John Hattie, you know, once you know, okay, here's my, an area I can improve, you can start there and really be thinking about it. Um, and then through his work, you can find kind of the instructional priorities or like the big rocks in your lesson planning and, um, just in your day that you can think about. And those big rocks, um, are again, have that high effect size that, that, um, is found in his work and there are things like your classroom PBIS and that classroom management system. So as you're reflecting on your own teaching, you can look at that. Um, cause if that foundation isn't there and those routines aren't there, everything else is kind of going to crumble, um, and not be getting you getting the kids as far as they could be getting if, if that piece isn't there. So classroom management is a big one. Um, that has a, a large effect size on, on the outcomes for kids. The next one is your grouping structures. And um, that can be how much whole group you're doing. Do you build in some small group time? Um, and again, watching your own teaching, that's, you know, that's something you can just think about. But if you're videoing and watching how you do your partner work and things like that, those are um, important things to look at. Um, other instructional priorities he identifies with high effect size are scaffolding your instruction that's differentiating and finding supports that are in place for kids to be successful with the standards you're, um, wanting them to master, um, your engagement. That's a huge one. Um, we want, you know, high active engagement. And I think this is where that developmentally appropriate practice mindset is so important because we can actively engage kids, but if it's not, what they're going to be interested in or what's hitting them at their level um, and developmentally appropriate for them, it's not going to, again, have that outcome, that that biggest outcome that we could have. Um, and a couple of the others are explicit instruction. That's a big one, I think, reflecting on um, that I give feedback to teachers um, often about because we we, we don't and, you know, I, I wish as when I was being observed, I would have gotten um, clear feedback on this. The, ins, the explicit instruction module or um, kind of sequence is, you know, the I do, we do, you do. And I don't know if you've talked about this in your podcast before. Just a little bit. A little bit. I think we get stuck in that kind of that linear uh, it goes in that order type of explicit instruction model. And what's nice as you reflect on your teaching or, or if you're watching yourself or getting feedback, you can ask someone to to look for this for you, um, is if kids aren't getting something and say they're in the you do part and you're walking around your classroom, they're working on a task, you're giving feedback, um, you know, you might sit and give feedback to this to four kids in a row on the same thing. If you get to five and six kids out of your class, that's a big, you know, chunk of kids. Mm -hmm. You could have just pulled the group back together and probably clarified for the whole group or done some more instruction for them. Mm -hmm. So, and then you're going back to that I do piece. It doesn't have to just go in order. So that's a nice thing. I think it's hard when you're in it doing the teaching. Right. It's really hard to reflect on our, is this all this work I'm doing as the teacher to, to do my explicit instruction? Are the kids getting it? Are there times when I could 
um, you know, pull them back together, maybe just pull a small group or did I miss something with someone, um, you know, some of the students or anything like that. Um, let's see a couple of the other instructional priorities and things that John Hattie, um, finds high effect size in our vocabulary development, huge in our, um, you know, in our early elementary grades, we have to really be systematic and, and purposeful in our vocabulary development. And then the other is the instructional hierarchy. And um, I love this because it's so clear in um, building fluency and not just, you know, fluency and speed of reading, mm-hmm. but fluency meaning kids really understand how to do something, practice it accurately and then can apply it into skills. So the instructional hierarchy is looking at um, acquisition, so at the beginning of learning something, moving to automaticity and getting fluent at that, and then application, which is then being able to know it so well something different. And so the, that triple A, acquisition, automaticity, and application, really, if students can move through that hierarchy in their learning, they're going to have mastered skills, not just learned it at that moment. Right. So, um, you know, those are big things to reflect on. Right. For, or me watching myself, I would probably pick one or two that I was going to really focus on mm-hmm. and um, watch for, because if you watch for all of those, it's it's just too much in one, you know, reflection. So picking one, I'm going to watch my engagement today. And for, you know, 15 minutes, I'm going to turn my phone on and record myself and my class. And I'm going to watch it by myself. It doesn't need to be this big, you know, show or thing. Right. Um, and then just look at that. And then, okay, I'm going to try to build in these active engagement tasks. Um, and then, you know, the next time you have the chance to reflect, maybe choose your scaffolding or something like that. That's an interesting idea because I think we reflect on ourselves a lot, but I don't know that I've ever videotaped myself and actually looked at myself. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, because like you said before, you get embarrassed about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think you just, um, we get really comfortable in what we do and we have good outcome you know you might be a teacher that has great outcomes and it's like well what's the the point but again you might have great but what if you had even better than great that would be awesome for the kids so mm-hmm. I think it's important to have that growth mindset um I've been impressed just in teaching the the USOE courses online um having teachers across our state talk about their PLCs in their buildings and that a lot more schools are building in opportunities where teachers do this kind of reflecting or maybe observations together. And that way it's, you know, if it's a team you're comfortable with and a peer you feel comfortable with, I think you need to build that relationship to trust them. But what a great opportunity to have you know, that built right into your day and kind of required of you because it'll kind of be like the Band-Aid that you have to pull off fast, like just get into it. I'm required to do it. But then, um, you know, you're you're doing it and you'll, I think you'll see the outcome much more quickly than maybe you think from that practice. So since you are in the classroom and you're specifically working with people on improving their developmentally appropriate practice, Is there anything you see over and over again that maybe we don't even know we could be doing better at? I think what I would say is 
I guess just looking at, I think with the younger grades, the easiest thing I think to build in for them, you know, we do have rigorous academic standards that we expect of these kids, but building in things like movement as you learn them. So if you're doing segmenting, which is a big skill for, you know, kindergarten or first graders, um, you can, you know, build in their body movement to it. Mm -hmm. So opportunities where you think about movement, creativity, and music and things that are, again, developmentally appropriate for that age of kids, are, are there ways I can build that into just my day-to-day routine? So if you're having them line up at the door, um, you know, have them clap out their sight word for the day or whatever it is. And I think I see teachers do that, but um, I think what I, what I would see as an enhancement in a lot of classrooms are um, making those opportunities again, really match those skills they need to learn in their standards Mm -hmm. and build that in. So, um, like being purposeful, okay, I'm going to have them segment their short A sounds because that's a big focus right now or their short A words. And so building those kind of tasks in, I would say are, um, really good opportunities. Trying to think of any others. I think with, um, the only other one I would see is going along with the instructional priority of grouping. Mm-hmm. It's really hard in um, like half day kindergartens to get in small group time. Right. Um, but if you can, you know, set a goal like, okay, twice a week, I'm going to start um, a few weeks into school, you know, establish your routines and get your kids going. I mean, they're so little at the beginning of the year in kindergarten, right. but you know, in October, maybe can twice a week, can I see, you know, a couple small groups and start there and then try to do it. You know, I just think we, we miss an opportunity really um, scaffold for kids and differentiate and meet their individual needs at that small group time, because it's so hard to fit in when you have only a few hours a day. Um, But I would say that's a missed opportunity, but again, it takes setting up good routines um, and easing in. If you overwhelm yourself and try to do, you know, 40 minutes out of your short day is, is small group time. So you can see four groups for 10 minutes. I mean, that's just crazy at the beginning. You know, I think that's something to ease into. Um, and again, thinking of that consideration with DAP that's meeting the individual needs, there are going to be the different levels of kids and not every child needs to be seen in a small group every day. You need to think about what's, you know, equitable for everyone and equitable isn't always equal time. Mm -hmm. So some kids are going to do a two minute check-in, you know, your higher, um, higher achievers on a skill might do a quick check-in with you. And then you say, okay, go work on, you know, this task and, and they might go work a little bit more independently than you can pull another group and give them a few more minutes and, you know, again, when I'm talking about small groups in, in a half-day kindergarten, I'm talking literally just a few minutes right. with each group because there's just not time right. for any more than that. Yeah. Do you have any celebrations you could share with us of some great things you've seen going on in classrooms? Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I just – I work with really wonderful teachers, and I love it. And I think just – also, you know, it's online, so I don't get to see the teachers that are on these courses, but um, they have such great ideas. I think um, the biggest thing to celebrate is how our teachers make, 
I think they're small group time. So that's, a, again, to go back to that, that's a huge stressor for teachers that I really support when they're getting classrooms set up or, or trying to get to that. So going to that, um, I love that I see teachers bring in. I have one teacher that's she's so sweet. She wears a crown, and when she has the crown on, the kids know like how to approach her to interrupt the group because there's only certain ways they can interrupt. So that way she's just dedicated to that that little group of learners in front of her. Um, the other thing I've seen is I don't know if you've seen the and, and heard about the show Super Why on PBS. My daughter loves it. But a teacher that does um, like the super readers. And so whether it's whole group, small group, her modeling something that she brings that theme of like that super reader superhero <laughs> into it and so she has wands to follow along they zap the um maybe a certain letter that they're focusing on and it's just those kind of things are just so fun for the kids it makes them feel so special but they don't realize how hard they're working and it's just awesome to see them so um you know, interacting so much with the learning and important learning, rigorous learning. And I think that's, that's great. So those are things I see a lot of, you know, creative songs and um, things like that. And, and also I think the biggest, another very amazing thing I see teachers do is take curriculums that are, you know, maybe dry and they don't, necessarily mesh that well with certain people's style Uh but they make them fit and they build in those engagement things and they still stick to the required curriculums or themes and things but they find where they can be creative and um, build that in so that's really awesome too. As you're telling these stories I'm just so glad that you're sharing them because I think sometimes as an early educator you work so hard to bring rigor into your classroom And then sometimes you feel like you get dismissed when people are like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Well, and there's, um, you know, there's special people that can teach in those early grades and (laughs) it doesn't, not everyone has that mindset. And it's like, yeah, if I wasn't cute in this crown, my kids wouldn't be learning what they're learning because (laughs) it's a routine I have in place for them. And they know like, when the queen is here, we are doing business or whatever it is. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I see great learning happening and I see great outcomes with the kids. You know, um, we do test early and it's, you know, out of our control sometimes as the teachers to decide um, what assessments are expected of a grade level. And um but those assessments are showing that what you're doing the other times in your day and in your week um, that is making learning fun and interactive for kids is having outcomes on how prepared they're going to be as readers later on. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dibble's assessments, those all project reading success later on. And so those are important pieces mm-hmm. of education and um, supporting kids, especially at-risk students. Mm-hmm. So it's important we do those. But um, again, I see teachers kind of taking it on as, okay, I have this requirement, but how can I make this fun for my kids? And yeah, they make it cutesy and they make it awesome. And then the kids succeed at a rigorous task. So I love that. 
It must be really exciting to be able to go into other people's classrooms and see all the great things that are going on. Oh my gosh, so exciting. I just love my job. I miss the classroom so much, um, but I've learned so much. I'm like, I can't wait to just use all these cool things I'm learning from other people when I go back because, um, I mean, as I reflect on my years of teaching, I'm like, man, I miss so many opportunities because I see these wonderful teachers doing wonderful things. Um but it's okay, because I'll have a chance at some point in my life, I'm sure. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? I do. Um, there are a couple of resources. I don't know if you want to share websites. Um, I would love to share websites. So that any, the NAEYC website is an awesome place to get more background information. Um, and then readingrockets.org. That's really fun because it has um, lessons and ideas. And it also has articles for both parents and educators. So I think it's a great resource to share, um, like a back-to-school night and things. Mm-hmm. The only thing with the lesson plans is um, I would say they definitely build in the instructional priorities. But the developmentally appropriate practice is something that you'd have to be creative with the, the pre-made lesson plans with Reading Rockets. Um and then Florida Center on Reading Research, that's fcrr.org, and that's a great website. And I think that is has many developmentally appropriate practice um, practices built into their lesson plans because they're very purposeful and aligned to the core um, standards and skills, but they're game-like, so they have a lot of spin boards, and um, they're just more... They're kind of pre-created that way, so you don't have to do as much um, tweaking of the lessons on FCRR. Which is always nice. Yes, it is nice. And you can search by skill and content area and grade level, and so it's really quick and fast, and you can download and print the games, or you could just look at it and create your own stuff, too, or use what you have. Um, But I love those. I think they're both um, really great resources, but again you can be confident in this is evidence-based and going to have that high effect size. So you don't have to do so much digging around. And if anybody wants to learn more about John Hattie, do you have a good resource they can go to? So you can um, Google it and it's the, the, you can just Google John Hattie and best practices. The book, um, his meta analysis that's made for teachers is called visible learning and teaching. And that's like very, easy to read it's not like researching and and scary to read (laughs) um it's something you can kind of you don't have to read front to back you can just flip through and find um kind of tidbits on different strategies so that um those are both great resources yes and i wouldn't say sit down and read the whole thing gets a little again focus on maybe one area yeah you know, make those thing habits of mind by focusing on one and moving to the next and, and really building in as, as a habit for yourself, not just, uh, you know, a quick little, I guess, experience making it truly how you teach and plan. Well, that's a good point, because if you do take it one thing at a time, you're really more likely to internalize what you're doing and make a more significant change. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much we cover and there's so many subjects and so many kids. And so Mm -hmm. it's just better to do one and and get really good at that and then move on to the next. And I think if you ever get to a point where you don't think you have anything else to learn, you probably have a bigger thing to reflect on (laughs) than just your day to day job. Uh, (laughs) 
or probably your day-to-day job, not your day-to-day tasks with your job. So, you know, I think a growth mindset is crucial. I mean, wouldn't we hate to go to a doctor that was like, no, what I learned 20 years ago is what I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shouldn't be that way as teachers because um, we wouldn't want to send our kids to that doctor, I'm sure, right. if they weren't willing to learn what's what's new and up-to-date either. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think this is going to be really useful for people. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much. We'd like to thank Megan again for being on the podcast and talking to us about developmentally appropriate practice. We hope it was really useful to you. It was really useful to me. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit us at kindergartenkiosk.com and you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. We'd like to thank bensound.com for our music. Bye, Mom. See you, Lindsay. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?